Eileen, I want to start with this question. How did your experience with bulimia instigate your venture into alternative healing? Hmm. Well, they say that bulimia is one of those things that's particularly hard to heal from. And I've certainly met women who were bulimic for decades. I became bulimic when I was 17. And when I was 18, I tried to stop. And I couldn't. And that was the first experience I ever had where I became aware that I was inwardly divided, that there was one part of me that wanted to stop the destructive, shameful behavior. And then this other part of me that was completely in it and couldn't let go of it. It was very alarming. I confessed to my mom what my experience was. And my mom had grown up in Belfast during and after World War II, where they didn't have enough to eat. And she couldn't relate. She said, you know, this is a disease of your time. Nothing I had to deal with. We didn't have the luxury of eating lots of food and throwing it up. So I realized that I was on my own to figure it out. And I'd always been a really voracious reader of fiction. It was sort of my go-to thing as a geeky kid to read a lot. And so I decided to start looking in self-help books to try to figure out what was going on and how I could fix it. And I spent from 18 to 20 reading one self-help book after another. It was a number of years before it really sunk in what was going on. And so I realized two things. And the two things that I realized helped me to stop. So one was that as a young woman, and this is in the 80s, that I had two signs held up to me. And one was consume and the other was be skinny. And I'm what I call a bothist. I'm a Libra and I practice bothism, which is that it doesn't have to be either or. That people get very stuck in either or scenarios. So if you ask a bothist if they want a salad or fries with their burger, they'll say both. <laughs> they don't get sort of stuck. So bulimia is a way to consume and be skinny. It's a way to do both. So realizing that my culture had programmed me into that behavior and that it wasn't my fault. Like my mother said, it was a disease of my time. And then the other thing that I realized was that it was my hand and it was my mouth. And if I wasn't in control of myself, who or what was? Like I realized that no one was going to save me. No one was going to fix me. It was absolutely my responsibility to take responsibility for my actions. And when that really sunk in, I was able to stop purging, but I was terrifically addicted to sugar and to food, which I think so many people are. And it's such an acceptable addiction because we have to eat. And I actually owned a restaurant and was a baker. So it was like being a bartender in a bar, you know, and I was surrounded by ice cream and muffins and cookies and cakes. And I just lived on sugar all day long, sugar and adrenaline. And got to a point with that kind of habit of working all the time and eating a lot of sugar where I completely burned myself out. And I totally ruined my health. At age 23, I was a complete and utter mess. I was just completely toast. And I realized that I needed to go deeper into the healing journey to really become healthy. And that is what led me to sound, was my continued exploration of science and spirituality and pretty much any kind of self-help book I could get my hands on. And 
anybody who's a researcher knows, you know, one topic leads to the next, leads to the next. And so I got led to vibrational healing, the use of color and sound and music and healing, which made a lot of sense to me. I was starting to understand like everything is vibration, even though we appear solid, we're really just vibrating fields of energy and information. So it made sense to me to treat vibration with vibration. And I went out and got every book I could find on the topic. And then when I finished going through my stack, I got a catalog in the mail that had a set of tuning forks for healing in it. And at the time I was doing massage therapy part-time, I'd left the restaurant because screaming <laughs> and uh, went to massage therapy school. But then I ended up having to come back to the restaurant, but did massage on the side. And that's where I started playing with the tuning forks. And the tuning forks really, you know, people here, especially in Connecticut in the 90s, when I was telling people that I was doing sound healing with tuning forks, that I was balancing energy centers, there was such a skeptical dismissal of it. It sounds really, really woo. Like one person said to me once, she said, you know, of all the woo-woo stuff out there, what you do comes across as the most woo. And I was like, oh, great. That's just what I want to be. But really, when it comes right down to it, it's physics. I mean, it's actually what we're doing with the tuning forks is all physics and science most of us understand. Even though at first take, it just sounds ridiculous. But they led me on this incredible journey of discovery that I'm really still on 27 years later and have healed all the things. Did you, along the way, discover that you had some trauma or unhealed part of yourself at the root of the bulimia issue? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before the bulimia, I actually had, uh, I think there's a name for it, but I was pulling out my hair one by one when I was like 11, 12, 13. I had this big bald patch on my head. And that's certainly from trauma. Yeah, I, I grew up as the youngest of six kids. So I have siblings that are six to 12 years older than me. And it was a real roughhousing kind of family. So I grew up with a pack of five older siblings that were always tickling me, pinning me down, Indian rope burn. The claw was coming after me. I was getting rat tail flicks. I was just kind of constantly under attack or sarcasm or just unkindness and really felt like I didn't have an ally. And then I skipped two grades. So I ended up sort of the runt at school too. And by the time I got out of high school and I was 16, I was like the runt chicken with all its feathers plucked out. I mean, I was really, really a mess. And also, as I went through this healing process, I discovered in a number of different ways that I'd been sexually abused as a child as well, which is a massively damaging thing. And so many of the clients that I've worked with over the years I've found that it is in their field, it's in their information, and it's gutting. It really like kind of takes you out of your core, especially when it happens when you're really little. And I felt like life had kind of shattered me into a thousand pieces, honestly, and that I had to sort of go back and find them and put myself back together again to go back to being whole, right? Healing is becoming yeah. whole. Yeah. Yeah, it is it that particular type of abuse is so devastating. I think it's difficult for people to grasp that are fortunate enough to not have had that experience. You know, I mean, I've been unpacking mine for decades, you know, just when I think I've gotten to the bottom of it, it's like, oh man, God, the magnitude of it. I mean, I, I think that it's less operational in my day-to-day -day experience. There has been a lot of very productive healing, but just looking at it objectively of what a major punctuation mark it was in life. I mean, it's like an 
AD, BC sort of situation, you know? Yeah. It really, it really does alter the course of your life dramatically. And one thing that's interesting about it to me is it seems to be, I don't know if it's the circles in which I run or if it's just so prevalent. You know, I mean, I spent a lot of time with recovering addicts and I would say the vast majority of them had that experience or some deviation of it. So I hang around a lot of people that are into healing. So maybe my view of is it a bit is a bit skewed, but it's crazy how common it is. Yeah. I mean, that was my experience yeah. too, working with clients, like the amount of them that had that. And then you like you say, well, those are the kinds of people that go for healing that have had that sort of thing. But it is shockingly common in families and for people. It's really this great sickness in our whole culture. Look at child pornography and all of the stuff that's going on and this very strange sickness that is so damaging to our souls. Yeah. When you, uh, in the early 80s, were grasping at the self-help books, <laughs> what were some of the prominent books at that time? Do you remember? You know, I can think back to when I got into, you know, my early sobriety and healing. There were a couple of key players that were popular at that time, but mm-hmm. I don't know who they were earlier on when I was a young teenager. So Tony Robbins, I think I read both his books, Unlimited Power and Awaken the Giant Within. And he was a very formative teacher for me. And he's actually still a friend. He's wrote an endorsement for my second book, Electric Body, Electric Health. So he was a big influence. I also read A Course in Miracles, which was actually really transformational. I come from an atheistic background and I went to prep school, which is very atheistic. And I think what was most upsetting to me about the bulimia and the addiction was how it stole my peace. Because today, actually, in the event I did this afternoon here, about the concept of added addiction, addiction being added addiction, and how when you're an addict, whether it's food, whether it's booze, whether it's drugs, there's always this whole inner conversation around when are you going to get your next fix? What's it going to be? How are you going to do it? And the guilt and the shame and the not wanting to do it. And, and there's this whole internal dialogue that goes on incessantly of added addiction, of extra words that steals your peace. And I remember when I started reading A Course in Miracles and it started to really reframe it, I went to bed one night and I could hear the crickets outside. And it occurred to me that I hadn't heard the crickets in years because there was such a torrent of noise in my own head that it just stopped me from even being able to be quiet enough to hear that. And so that's what I was after more than anything was inner peace, that I didn't want this sense of inner division, this inner conflict, this inner dialogue of guilt and shame and desire and fail and blah, 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 going on continuously. So that that was my real goal and desire was to get to that place of inner unity and inner quiet. Yeah, that's the real tragedy in the addictive cycles, isn't it? It's like you have hurt or shame inside and so you seek to medicate it and then you start to become aware that it's overtaken you and then there's more shame as a result of succumbing to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do to numb the compounding shame? You do it again, and then there's more shame. It's it's such a tragic cycle in the human experience. Yeah, well, and it's such a huge waste of energy. You know, I think about all the years that I spent being bulimic and then being addicted to food and struggling with food, and I'm like, God, all the energy 
that I put into that. Like I could have learned musical instruments. I could have learned another language. I could have been volunteering in my community. Like there is no end of other places where I could put that energy and that money and all of that. And instead it was just in this vicious self-destructive cycle that leads nowhere except to poor health and more misery. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Do you ever struggle with brain fog or sometimes find it hard to focus on a task? Do you ever have trouble recalling names, dates, or where you left things? Well, let's face it, we all get a little brain foggy or forgetful from time to time. And let me tell you, when I hit my 50s, I definitely needed to step up my nootropics game to stay on point. And ever since I first tried this stuff called Collagenius a few years ago, I became obsessed. I immediately felt calm and focused, my mind was clear, and my ability to memorize and recall information went up significantly. No joke. Collagenius comes in a delicious chocolatey powder that you can simply mix with water, smoothie, coffee, just about anything. When I got on Collagenius, it quickly became a non-negotiable ingredient in my morning cup. One scoop transforms my coffee or smoothie into a delicious mood-boosting mocha elixir. The stuff is wild. Every serving of Collagenius contains the equivalent of 1.2 pounds of mushrooms, including lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and chaga. Now, each of those is a powerhouse in its own right, but together they make a potent blend that actually helps repair your brain. It boosts something called BDNF, which supports improved learning and memory. It also contains cacao and collagen, which provide antioxidants, mood support, improved brain function, and more. To get on board with this stuff, here's what you do. Go to newtopia.com slash lukegenius and use the code luke10. And seriously, if you want to upgrade your mental capacity, Collagenius is a no-brainer. See what I did there? And you can try it risk-free with Newtopia's money-back guarantee. So seriously, what are you waiting for? That's newtopia.com slash lukegenius, N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A. And again, don't forget to use that code luke10 to save 10%. So last night when we met, you were kind enough to offer me one of your sessions or treatments with the biofield tuning. I've seen the, uh, what do you call it, the forks? Mm -hmm. Like I've seen them around and someone's probably put one on me a couple of times here and there in some sort of healing session. But until um, very recently, knowing that you were going to be speaking here and kind of researching the other people here, I didn't really know much about it. And so my curiosity was piqued and uh, I found it to be A, fascinating, B, kind of a, well, obviously this would work. Like, duh. Oh yeah, this makes total sense, right? It's just like common sense and frequency and vibration. And my subjective experience of it was really, it was subtle, but at the same time powerful. And some of the things that you were picking up on rang true in terms of the timelines and the stuff that we covered about the birth experience and whatnot. So I'd like to kind of unpack how it works. I I find it to be so fascinating. Maybe you could start by just describing for the people that weren't there with you and I last night, what did we do? What what Mm. was happening there? Yeah. It's a really weird thing. And I did it for many years and really had a lot of self-doubt about what I was doing, what I was experiencing, because it's a very weird thing to stand six feet away from somebody with a tuning fork and move in slowly towards them. 
it's just odd. And for many, many years, I was the only one doing it, which made it even more odd. Now I have thousands of people all over the world doing it. So I guess it's not so odd anymore. But I think in order to to frame it, because when I first started doing it and I first started encountering the phenomenon that I encountered when I first started going off the body, I started off and for 10 years just held tuning forks right over the body and sort of moved them around. And in the process of moving forks around, I discovered that they would sound different in different places. And of course, when I explained this to people early on, they were like, oh, that's just room acoustics. That's just the Doppler effect. And I was like, I understand those things. But I can have the same person on the same table in the same room on different weeks and things sound different. (laughs) There's something else going on. But it took me a really long time to understand it, to frame it, to give it a context, to be able to explain to people what was happening. And even now it's really hypothetical, I would say. But the idea is, is that your body has an electrical system that we're never told about, that we don't see the forest for the trees. I mean, we, we see that the heart is electric and you might get a pacemaker to modulate the electric impulse that beats the heart. We know that our brain waves are electric. You get an EEG, right? An EKG. Uh, this is all measuring the electrical activity in the body, that our blood carries a charge, that our bones are crystalline structures that actually make electricity when they're compressed, that even our fascia and our collagen are all semiconductors. And what this points to is that you actually have electric current running through the body. It's not just the nervous system, right? People think about electricity in the body, they just think the nervous system. But it's really the electrical system in its entirety. And anytime you have an electric current running through something, you have a magnetic field around it. And that's basic science that we all learn in grade school that everyone understands. So the human body is no different. And even though this whole idea of an aura or a human energy field has really been propagandized to us as being pseudoscientific, it's actually very scientific that we would have a magnetic field. And then in a science, we all understand. So when I first started moving tuning forks around the body and and hearing the tone change, I discovered that there were certain places where I would feel resistance and also places where the tone would get louder. So I'd find these places that felt like they had charge and energy. Somebody might be complaining that their shoulder hurt. And I'd hold the tuning fork over it and I'd see that it's loud here. Then I'd hold the tuning fork over their energy center, (laughs) their chakra, and it would be really quiet. And then I discovered that I could use the tuning fork kind of like a magnet. And I could do what I call click, drag, and drop, where I would like click into it with my mind and the fork. And then I could actually drag the loud spot to the midline of the body and then drop it in. And then it wouldn't be loud in the shoulder anymore. It would be loud here. And then the person would get off the table and say, wow, the pain in my shoulder is gone. So that was this little practice I developed. And I just kind of scan people's bodies. I'd find the loud spots and I just drag them to the middle. And so people would say, I feel really centered. (laughs) But people kept coming back and reporting that they had less anxiety, that they didn't fight with their spouse all week, that they slept really well. And then they'd be like, do that sound thing again, right? Because I was doing massage, just playing with the forks. So for 10 years, that's all I did. I just did it as a hobby and I worked over the body. But then in 2006, I accidentally discovered a loud spot about two and a half feet away from somebody. 
And when I moved that all the way to the midline, the person had been complaining that they had all this pain and pulling in their neck and their jaw, and they'd been to all these providers and nobody had been able to help. And so when I moved that loud spot from out here into the midline, she called me the next day and she said, Eileen, all the pain and pulling is gone. Like I'm all better. And so that was super intriguing to me. So then the next people who started coming in, I started exploring the atmosphere around the body. And as I did, I discovered loud spots, quiet spots, static spots, walls, channels, rivers, eddies. I discovered all of these different features. The tinny forks are almost like an invisible ink decoder. And as they create a wall of sound, they reveal the texture and the structure within the magnetic field. And after, it took me about four years to map the field. I basically discovered that it had a very specific anatomy and physiology and that it held our memories. So we're told that our memories are in our brain. But what I was finding was that they seem to be encoded in standing waves in the magnetic field around our body in this very specific way. So if you think about it, as you go through your day and you, you have the experience of being you, you feel all the feels, the things you say, the things that you respond to, this is all going on electrically, right? Everything we see, smell, touch, taste, think is all electrical impulses. So it makes sense that it would be stored in our electrical system, everything that we generate. And so as we have these experiences that they all make waves, every emotion makes a different waveform. Like the emotion, the feeling of fear creates a waveform that's staccato. So when you get really scared, you start to shake. And you can hear it in the tuning fork. When someone is afraid and you bounce sound off of them, you can hear that of fear. Sadness, if somebody is sad, if there's a particular sad memory that you get into, you hear the quality of sadness in that. Just like you hear the quality of sadness in music or even in music fear or anger is really music approximates what the frequency signatures are as heard in the tuning forks, like as we emanate these vibes and those waves intersect, the information of what's present comes through. So there are very distinctive sounds like depression has an undertone that you can hear. And the feeling of depression lives off of the left shoulder. So if you're depressed and I stick a fork six inches off your left shoulder, we're going to hear this boom. And when you feel depressed, you're like, like you are gray, right? And you can Mm -hmm. hear that in the tone. But what's so amazing about being able to hear and to reveal these feelings and reflect them back to the body. So the tuning fork acts like a mirror. It reflects back to the body the places where it's not in harmony, where it's dissonant, where it's got noise in the signal. And just like how if you you haven't looked in a mirror in a while and then you come across one and your hair is a mess and you have a poppy seed in your teeth, you immediately go to put yourself in order, right? You groom yourself. Well, your body's organizing intelligence does the same thing. When it gets a reflection of an atonal area in your electrical system created by some things, the tuning fork acts like a metronome. A mirror, a metronome, and a magnet is what I say. So it's producing a steady rhythm for the body to balance its own rhythms off of. It's producing a steady tone for the body to balance its tonal output. And so the body, we're self-tuning instruments, basically. We're self-tuning instruments. And biofield tuning is just a simple process of moving force through the field until we hit an area that is dissonant where the vibrational pattern in the field, there might be a traumatic memory there. And we just stay there and reflect that back to the body. 
And the body works with that signal to put itself in order. That's what it wants to do. So when I worked with you and I started at the outside of the edge of your field, I immediately got stuck. I got stuck in a sticky spot, in a loud spot, in an alarm spot, right? in, in a very frozen area. And, you know, you confirmed that you were an incubator baby. And I've worked with other people who are incubator babies, and I know the pattern that's there and how traumatic it is to not have all, you know, the primal needs that you're instinctually know that you need and to not get that. And the way that it imprints so deeply on the psyche that there is a barrier between me and my people. I'll never forget the first woman I worked on, the first incubator baby. And I came across the structure in her field at the very outer edge. And I said, it feels like there's this wall of glass between you and your mom. And I thought it was metaphorical. And then she's like, actually, I was in an incubator for a month. I was like, wow. And I said, do you still feel that wall between you and your mom? She said, I always have. Because it imprinted itself so much in, in her field, in her mind, in her experience, right? So I held the fork there and I was there for, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And we talked about your birth experience and how that was. And, and very often, you know, we have these early experiences and we, we form these early beliefs that are precognitive, these uh, things that happen under the age of three and that they've comprised the outer edge of our field. So a lot of times when we think of auras or human energy fields, there's this idea that's sort of dense and then it diffuses and, and then it's sort of boundaryless. But that's not what I discovered. As I was exploring, I found most people about six feet away from them, I came across something that felt like a membrane, that felt like a boundary. And then uh, slowly it dawned on me that the field is a torus. So we have the electric current running through the body and then the magnetic field, and it's bounded by a membrane. So it's like a, a bubble, if you will. And inside that membrane is the memories of our gestation. And then just as outside, inside of that, heading towards the body is birth, which is where we got stuck. I wasn't sure if it's gestation or birth because it's close, but then you said your birth story. And so I hung out there and, and because you're 52, right? So you've had 52 years of experience built on top of that wiring, that experience. So it took your body a while to work with the input. But then what happens is there's this experience of the resistance suddenly letting go, where all of a sudden that freeze that's been in your memory bank, that's been sequestering energy, suddenly relaxes and releases. And now that energy becomes available to go back into circulation. And so then we moved on until we hit another spot. And I stay there until your body self-corrects. And just keep going. It's sort of like dropping a needle on an album and reading the vibrational record of somebody's life. And because I've been doing it so long, I've really learned the language that there's, it's a very pure language, vibration. And actually all of nature speaks it, that animals have the same vibrational and fear is the same for them. Joy is the same. Even plants speak the same vibrational language. So it's this universal, pure language that's utterly true. There's no way to lie. There's no way for your vibrations to lie. Right. So whatever is going on, we can find it, we can feel it, we can see it, and we can work with it. And people find it very validating because we all want to be seen and heard and understood, especially if we're trying to heal. I think it's super important. So to be bathed in the sound and to really hear yourself. I was working on a friend of mine, his first session, and I'm combing through the field and all of a sudden the fork made such a wonky sound. Like, I'm not sure I've ever heard anything sound so mashed up. 
And he heard it too, because it's not so subtle that you can't hear it, right? You could hear the tonal changes that were happening. And, and he said, oh my God, he said, what's that? And so because the field is both striated and timelined, so what I mean by timeline is that as we have our experiences and we generate information, it moves away from us. It moves away like hair. It kind of grows away. So, so anything I find close to your body is current or recent. What I find at the outer edge of your field is birth. And then everything else falls in between like rings in a tree almost. So if somebody is 60 and I'm three feet away from them, I'm reading memories from when they were 30. And so I, I plotted it on the timeline, this particular spot in his field. And I said, this is around 18. And he said, oh, he said, that's when I went through the windshield of a car. Right? And you think about the trauma of going through the windshield of a car, of all the aftermath and all of that. It's very incoherent, very jumbled. And he also had all of these patterns of tension in his body from that injury. So I had to stay there for a while. And as I was doing it, he started to release and to relax and to unwind. So fundamentally, all of these areas that are where we had trauma, these memories where we're still holding charge, we're also holding tension in the body. And when we hold subconscious tension in the body, it leads to inflammation. So you end up with a jam up of too much electricity here. So any place you have an excess in one place, you end up with a deficiency in another. And most of what is going on with us that makes us go out of sorts is a wiring issue. And so we rewire through the field. So magnetic fields guide and inform electric currents. So as I'm manipulating the magnetic field, it's shifting the way electricity is running through your body. And it's getting you to relax and to release so that you breathe more freely, so that energy flows through you more freely. And then the body heals itself. So fascinating. It's like analog biofeedback. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting in the uh, awareness of the birth experience and the incubator and stuff, which is a whole other story. It's a huge part of the book that I'm writing at the moment. It was like a major key for me to unlock this feeling of um, loneliness and separation with people throughout my life. It's like the thing that you hear people say of being in a crowd of people and feeling totally alone. You know, that had an underlying essence of my experience and led me through so many <laughs> often destructive ways of trying to find a solution to that earlier in life, you know? So getting the affirmation of that as holding a key was really profound. Yeah, and It was like, oh yeah, cool. This thing I've been kind of drilling down toward to find, we talk about the root of things in childhood. You, you can't really go back much further than your birth before you get into the realm of karma, right? And past lives and it's a whole other quagmire to deal with, which I haven't even gotten to and maybe never will or might not need to. But yeah, I found that to be really, really fascinating. And thinking about something you said earlier, how the different, the tones have their own sort of personality and emotionality to them. It brought to mind the difference between a song in a minor key and the difference between a song in a major key. I mean, just as two broad examples, they have a very different feel and a very different essence. And you sort of identify and resonate with them based on what your emotional body needs in that moment, right? Sometimes I love to put on old blues that's minor and 
it's got a depth and a sadness to it. And that that's what I need to sort of counteract what I'm feeling inside. And there's other times where I want to hear like major key bebop, you know, <laughs> just do, 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 you know, so that's where I'm at. Or maybe I'm not there, but I need to get there, you know? So I, I really relate to music. I play music. And so I oftentimes view my life experience through the expression of music. It's such a inherent part of it. So I think that's the thing I really related to and what you're doing with the forks, everything is really music, right? You mentioned yeah, is music. you go to the crickets, right? You hear the crickets. The crickets are making music. The birds are making music. All the animals in the wild are making music. It all means something. It has meaning. I was watching a video the other day because I was trying to identify this really weird, I think, bird sound we've had in our yard recently. I don't even know how to describe it. We think it might be some type of owl. We don't really know. It's almost like it sounds like a massive frog is what it sounds like, but it's too big of a sound to be a frog, I think. So I was listening to all these bird songs on YouTube, you know, and I was just like, wow, all of those songs mean something to the other birds and to all of the other animals around, right? When you see birds giving warning signs of predation or signs of a fresh kill that the scavenger birds can come eat, all of that, right? And it's like, I think sometimes we're disassociated from the meaning of sound and vibration in our external environment and let alone like what you're doing, the internal environment, our auric field, that magnetic field. I always love to offer products that align with the lifestyleist mission. And over at Silver Biotics, their mission is to promote active and balanced living through education, science, and the power of nature. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's what we're all about over here. And their element of choice to achieve that is colloidal silver. It works by disrupting the cellular structure of pathogens, making it impossible for microbes, fungus, and mold to survive. The best thing is, though, that it's safe, non-toxic, and has no known side effects. Now, you might have heard of silver, but Silver Biotics has changed the science of silver with their patented SilverSol process. The nanoparticles in SilverSol function continuously, and they aren't neutralized like other forms of silver, so they're more bioavailable. Plus, and this is really important, they leave the body within 36 hours, which makes SilverSol safer and up to 10 times more effective than any other colloidal silver on the market. And they haven't been sleeping over at Silver Biotics, coming up with ways to get your daily dose. They've got toothpaste, first aid topical gel, skin creams and immune support drops, sprays and lozenges. So they've really got all your bases covered. And uh, I just love a number of their different products. I've got them in the medicine cabinet, my travel bag and all over the place. They're very useful and definitely very effective. So check out all the goods over at silverbiotics.com and use the code Luke at checkout to save 30%. That's right, 30%. Massive discount. Again, that's silverbiotics.com and the code is Luke. So it's so interesting that there's so much data in there to mine. It's just fascinating. To that end... As you said, you started off and, you know, you kind of begrudgingly went into the realm of woo-woo and healing and such. Over the course of your career and your depth of research in this, has there been any point at which you or science at large has corroborated some of your findings? Yeah. Well, when I started working in the field with people and I started getting 
really dramatic outcomes with my clients, like astonishing jaw-dropping outcomes where people, somebody had pain for 30 years, was like gone in one session or people that had had severe anxieties gone or much less after, you know, a few sessions. It started to dawn on me that I had a sort of moral obligation to bring it out in the world. I'm like, this is the kind of healing people are looking for. It's efficient. It's non-invasive. It's interesting. And it works for so many things on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational levels. And at the time, actually, I was popping kettle corn. You know, kettle corn is everywhere now, but back in 2004, you couldn't buy it in a store. You could only get kettle corn at fairs and festivals. And I decided that I was going to bring the first organic kettle corn to market. And I was living in Vermont. So I came up with maple kettle corn and then I came up with a chipotle kettle corn. I made it completely addictive and it was just flying off the shelves. And so I was in about 50 stores. I was doing it all by hand and it was my plan to automate it, blow it up and then like sell it to like Frito-Lay and retire. I was like, I got, <laughs> I've got a great profit mar- margin here, a great business model, a proven product. I know that the rest of the marketplace is coming up behind me and that I'm in first. And uh, I started working on a business plan to automate it and kind of just had boulders dropped in my way, even though it it seemed like a really good idea. Then one day when I was struggling, trying to get investment, because that's what I needed, I got this very clear download, very clear guidance that came in kind of like certified mail. And And it was very clear. It said, you need to go to college and get degrees. You need to learn and teach about sound. You need to do studies on this work, publish studies, get in peer review. You need to get into textbooks. You need to awaken an army and cover the globe with this work. And I was like, okay. In fact, it came in preceded by the phrase, the world needs harmony more than it needs another snack food. And I just, I couldn't argue (laughs) with that. It's hard to ignore that realization. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah. So, but it just so happened that I live in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Vermont, but it just so happened that literally four minutes down the road from me, there was a public college. It was called Johnson State College. It's now Northern Vermont University. And it had the only one or one of the only, just a couple undergraduate programs in wellness and alternative medicine in the country. And so I never went to college out of high school. And so I ended up selling my popcorn business, enrolling in college. I completed my undergraduate and graduate degrees in five years, and I wrote a master's thesis called Exploring the Effects of Audible Sound on the Human Body and Its Biofield. So I did a really deep dive into academia, into science, into published research to frame what the experience was, to ground it in science, because as a hippie from Vermont waving teamworks around, I really didn't have any choice but to figure out how to explain it from the best scientific perspective that I could. And then I came out of my master's degree and I really wanted to go get a PhD. I felt like that would really help serve the cause of credibility. And I wanted to go to MIT because what I wanted to do was to create a device that made visible what the tuning forks were making audible in the field. That the tuning forks revealed this whole landscape of information, of energy and patterns. And I'm like, well, it's there. Like if we can make it visible, 
then seeing is believing. And like, that's the end of the story. That's the end of the argument. You know, we can show it. And I knew that MIT would be the kind of place where I would be able to do that. But I had an undergraduate degree in wellness and alternative medicine and business. And I had a graduate degree in education. And I couldn't fit into any of the schools at MIT or even McGill. That was another place in Canada where they had a brain music and sound lab. And I thought that could be good. But I, I didn't have a science background. I didn't have a medical background. You know, I was like, I got a teaching. I got an education degree. And so because I couldn't fit in any of those boxes, I ended up going to the California Institute for Human Science and worked on my degree there for a little while and did some research in a Faraday cage and with biophoton counters and, you know, just gathered more data and information. But what I found was because the method is so potentially effective for people that the demand for me to teach, that students wanted me to teach. So I ended up having to drop out of school. I never got my PhD, but I did go on to train many people to do the work. And then in the last few years, we've done some other studies that have been published. Most recently this year in May and June, we had two papers published in peer review on an anxiety study that we did. And initially, this was going to be a study on veterans for PTSD, because that's a really like tough spot for me in my heart, knowing that at least 20 veterans are committing suicide every day and that these people aren't getting care and knowing that the work that we're doing helps people that have PTSD, that have had a lot of trauma, it settles it down. It helps heal depression. It helps heal pain. It helps heal head injuries. It helps give people their lives back. But then COVID hit and what was supposed to be an in-person study on veterans became a remote study on anxiety. You know, people would ask me for years if I could do this work at a distance. And I always was like, no, like this is sound waves on the body. I'm, this is physics. Like there's no way I'm doing it at a distance. And I was very arrogant about it as we can be, right? But we think we're right. Well, there's a, to, to your credit, there is a massive leap between physics and quantum physics. Yeah, <laughs> true there's that. a huge, huge leap of faith and yeah. you know, understanding there. So Absolutely. it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't see how it could be possible at all. But then a gentleman by the name of Dr. Carl Merritt, who wrote the introduction to my first book, Tuning the Human Biofield, and who helped me with my master's thesis, he went through it page by page, made sure that it was all accurate. He asked me if I'd be willing to try an experiment doing it at a distance. And, you know, I'm a scientist. I do love experiments. Like one of my favorite things to say is like, well, let's see what happens if we try this. And to have the courage to just, I don't know, see what happens. So he lay down on a treatment table in his office in California. And I pretended that he was on my table in Vermont. And at this point, this is probably 2011 or so, I'd already mapped the field. I already understood the language of vibration. And so uh, even though we had no open line of communication, we were just connecting by intention. And I was invested in it not working. I was invested in being right that it wasn't possible. There's nothing I was trying to prove by doing this, but I did have an open mind. And so as I started to comb through the field, but you know, next to this empty table, all of the same information and, and sensations and awarenesses that came through when somebody was actually on the table appeared. And so I took notes 
And, you know, every time I hit something and I'm like, okay, I know that sound, that's a car accident, that's a really stressful time when you're working really hard, that's a heartbreak, that's inflammation in the body, that's the spleen not working right, that's a head injury at five, like all the things, right? Personality of the mother, personality of the father, all the things that I had learned to discern the tones and what they meant. And when I finished, I called him and I read in my notes and he said, Eileen, all of that is exactly correct. And I actually felt a state change. I felt you working on me and I feel different now. I feel lighter. So you you weren't on even on a Zoom or on the phone or anything? No. Whoa. No. Uh, It was really spooky. So that was like mind blown. I was like, wow, okay, I got to eat crow now because it is possible. I don't know how. But obviously, if it's possible, there's some law of nature that is governing it. Right. So then I started doing distance ones. And the first, I don't know, the first few months that I was doing the distant ones, I didn't have any open line of communication. And so when I had somebody on the table, if I got into something wonky, I could be like, okay, I plot it on the map. This is age 10. It's in the zone where we store sad memories. Does that make you think of anything? And the person be like, oh, yeah, that's my grandmother died when I was 10. And it was, you know, really sad. We didn't talk about it and da, 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 da. So I could get feedback from people that that would tell me what was going on. But when I was working remotely and we had no open line of communication, I had to go into an even deeper level of understanding what that particular sound meant, right? So that's definitely a move that didn't work out well. Like that's definitely a virus because when people have things that we call viruses, the tone goes all kind of fuzzy sounding when people have mono or they have lime something like that, that in that time frame of that experience, their tone is all fuzzy. So I was able to identify different kinds of illnesses and things like that. So it really deepened and broadened my understanding of the language of vibration. But then I started working with people on the phone and through Zoom. And so when we did this study, the anxiety study, so it was just a a feasibility study. It was a first attempt at a study. So we had 15 volunteers and each one of them received three biofield tuning sessions, one hour sessions once a week for three weeks. And we had all of these different ways of measuring what their state was. And basically all the volunteers came in with clinical anxiety and all of the the 13 or 15 people who completed the study all left without clinical anxiety. And now every single graph that we have, you see the markers just going down, down, down across the board. And so we ended up writing a quantitative paper with all of those p-values and things like that. And then we wrote a qualitative paper as well, where people describe their experience of receiving three biofield tuning sessions at a distance and how it changed their relationship with their anxiety, with their body, very profoundly. Uh, So that enabled us to get fully fund a three-year study that we're in the first year of right now. We're going to have 60 volunteers. We're going to have a control group. And... We're going to aim to publish it in mainstream medical journals instead of like complementary therapy journals. Because currently the biofield, you know, and this seems so silly to me. It's like there's this debate as to whether it even exists, you know, and well, we don't know how these things work and like it doesn't even exist. You know, and it's such, it's silly. It's like, it's coming from doctors. Like, you know, the body has electric current running through it. You know, that electric current has magnetic field around it. It isn't pseudoscience. 
we've had this whole idea of our electrical system has been completely obscured as we've been fo- taught to focus on the chemical and the mechanical and just, but the electrical system is primary. It's your thoughts, it's your feelings, it's your memories, it's your conscious mind, it's your subconscious mind. It's your light body because it's electric, right? I mean, I'd even go so far as to say it's your soul because when you die, your light goes out and it takes all that information with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. In terms of your original goal in going back to school for the PhD and wanting to develop a technology or some modality by which you could see visually to you know solve the problem that you just described, does the Krillian photography and the aura photos that you get driving through Sedona at the New Age shop, is that getting close to it? Do you think there's any validity to that? Could something develop out of that type of technology, that photography that could give us a visual representation of what you described? I don't think it it is coming from like light or camera. I think really it's sound waves. It's like, it's acoustic, it's sonic. There's phonons and photons. You believe in particles, right? But Uh of course there really aren't particles, but there are waves and information so I'm not entirely certain. I think if it was that easy, it is just light. It would already be done. And I have some friends that recently went to a biofield conference a few weeks ago, and they said that it does not appear that anything has yet to be created that would visualize the biofield. I pursued that for a while. I ended up going into an unechoic chamber where we put a tuning fork on like a robotic arm and we're swinging it around trying to determine like how much of this being able to determine loud spots and quiet spots, like how much of that is the fact that I am in the equation, right? It's not just the tuning fork, but my mind, my electromagnetic field. And what we found was that the tuning fork, when it was swinging on like a a swing arm, um, it didn't get the volume changes that you get when a person is holding it. And there was just something about that experience of trying to turn it into this mechanical thing because the original vision was, okay, let's create something that visualizes the field. And then the next step is let's create a device that fixes the field like the tuning forks do. But there was something about that experience in that anechoic chamber that that was the last time I even thought about it because I think what I realized there is like, there is no substitute for a caring human heart in healing. The attention, the care, the bedside manner, the desire to help, like that's what heals. That's what we need. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to be validated. We need to be witnessed in these deep traumas. Like I can't even tell you how many people have said to me as I've gotten into something in the area where it's holding memory of like sexual abuse, the sacral area, age four, age seven, age 10, and I'm in it and I know what it is, but I won't ever bring it up first. But if they bring it up, they'll be like, I've never told anyone this before, but dot, dot, dot. And then they get Damn. off the table and that low back pain is gone. Damn. Because it was just witness. Yeah, yeah. No machine will ever do that. Yeah, machines can't really see you. No. <laughs> Being seen sometimes really is the thing that unlocks the cascade of healing, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, I mean, just think about in a simplistic, fundamental way, talk therapy or group therapy or something where you bare your soul or 12-step groups, you know, mm-hmm. have that effect too is just to bare your soul and be witnessed in your authenticity and vulnerability in and of itself has transformative power. 
without any inputs yeah. other than just being received exactly lovingly. But if I've got a fork in the, that memory and I'm giving you that acoustic biofeedback as you are telling me that story, it gives your body the opportunity not only to be witnessed, but to actually fix itself and to smooth all that out, to discharge it, to settle it down, to release the charge that's been held in it and release it back into flow and circulation. So in a way, it's kind of like soul retrieval. You know, when I first started combing through the field and discovering that these sticky spots, these loud spots, these little zones of charge were like soul fragments. And I was like, wow, this is like sonic soul retrieval. I'm like going back in time picking up, right? Because the, yeah. one of the shamanistic perspectives is when you have a trauma, part of you splits off and the shaman will go and journey and find the soul piece and come back and, and they'll either blow it or place it into the body. And that's what I was doing the tuning fork, going through people's memory banks, finding these bits of, of light that had become frozen and stuck in time and picking them wow. up and bringing them back to now. Wow. Yeah. God, that's so resonant for me. I, I've had the realization on a number of occasions. I think if I remember right, probably in ayahuasca ceremonies where I was processing things from my, quote, past. And I've had the realization on a number of occasions, you know, going back to me at age two, me at my birth, me at age 10, wherever I had some kind of life-altering traumatic experience. And I've had the realization that it's kind of like inner child work, I guess, is what maybe you might broadly call it. But it's not as if the way I used to perceive it was, well, the Luke at five years old is gone. That doesn't exist anymore. That was in the past, right? Like in the linear frame. But in those experiences, I've had the, the realization or even just a knowing that this is the truth. This is the way it is. That like Russian dolls, I forget what they're called, mabushkas or something like that, like Russian dolls, every version of ourselves is actually still present within our experience in this moment. And I didn't know what it was. I just think that it's true. It just seems like true. And as I've gone back and retrieved those parts of myself, they're still in me. So the one-year-old is as present as the 52-year-old. They're all incorporated into this physical and energetic experience. And what you described seems to make a lot of sense to me that that record, it's kind of like an interpersonal Akashic record of sorts, right? Exactly. It's like that magnetic field holds these imprints. And because there really is no then and now, it's all one giant infinite now. Yeah. That it all does exist here. And you're sort of proving that based on not only your clinical experience, but the results that are derived from that experience. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's really, really trippy. It's a great way to how you described it. It really is. It's like our own personal Akashic record. So as we are laying down this information in our own biofields, we are also laying it down in the ether, in the Akasha. And it lives forever. Everything that ever is, was, or will ever be right, yeah. is present in, in the ether, in the Akasha. And so we are creating, it is, or I call it our, it's our own personal cloud storage system. Right. And then we view the world through our field. So if all our memories are stored in our field, traumas, this is why we get triggered, is because somebody might do something and it comes through the lens of my experience and whatever distortions I have are going to corrupt my perception. So I'm going to 
misrespond or I'm going to get upset about something because all of a sudden you're reminding me of my father and he did that to me and you know I'm going to have this kind of reaction yeah, yeah. because it's going through the filter of my biofield of my experience. That's wild because I've sort of picked apart that phenomenon and maybe it's both but more in the neural pathways that have been created, right? You were uh, abused or oppressed by a violent parent, right? Or a parent that yelled a lot and was throwing tantrums and things like that. And then, so later in life, you're 40 years old and you're timid and afraid of people and avoid confrontation. And I'm talking about myself here, but trying not to be so self-referential. But that's one thing I've experienced or observing other people when I meet someone who's very like people-pleasing and timid, I recognize that pattern within myself and I think, oh God, one of their parents must have been an alcoholic or was abusive or something like that. But I've always kind of unpacked it from the lens of the brain, right? Of the mind that there's neural pathways. And so there's a pattern recognition going on where like, oh, this is scary, shut down, freeze, hide. Even though in reality, in real time, the thing that's happening is not the same as the thing that happened, but there's that pattern recognition of the brain that creates this self-protection mechanism that goes, ooh, we touched the hot flame that one time. I remember how that feels. So 40 years later, if we come across anything that is remotely similar to that hot flame, we're going to recede, right? It's that kind of thing. But what you're describing, and maybe it is both, as I said, is that we also have that same record of our experiences in our biofield. Yeah. But I, I like that we describe it as in terms of perception too. If I think about the biofield as maybe being layers of opaque to clear glass, right? That there's maybe in the opaque parts are those distortions. And think about putting on someone's prescription glasses that aren't yours and just how warped everything becomes yeah. and how disoriented it is and how dizzy you get and all that. It's like that's what happens as we go through the world perhaps and perceive reality through the distortions in our biofield. Exactly. That's wild. Exactly. And the more clear our biofield becomes and the more the noise settles because all these traumas, like my friend's car accident, that was really noisy. And so when we settle it down, he's like, well, I feel so quiet inside now because all that (laughs) is now quiet. And so, right, you had that experience too. You're like, oh, I just feel Yeah, you were asking inside. me, how, what's going on? How do you feel? And I was like, I don't really, there's no real answer. I just feel stillness and presence. Yeah. You know, which on a good day, I might have more of that. Everybody wants to look good on the outside, but did you know that our skin actually reflects how healthy we are on the inside? Our skin is also one of the key routes to getting rid of toxins and taking nutrients into the body. That's why I want to clue you into the purest skin health company on earth. It's called Alatura Naturals. Alatura's products are designed to cleanse and detoxify as well as add moisture and regenerative nutrients with zero chemicals. Alatura was created out of desperation when its founder, my friend Andy Nilo, found his face unrecognizable after getting hit and run over by not one, but two cars. He was an actor and model at the time, so he was eager to recover his appearance. So he went on a mission to self-heal his scars and abrasions, tracking down the world's most potent, natural, and holistic ingredients. And as a result, now we can all benefit from the fruits of Andy's quest. 
My go-tos from Alatura are their night cream and face lotion, which are really important to me because I get a lot of sun, especially in summer in Texas. So check out all of Andy's creations at alatura.com and you can save 20% off your order by using the code LIFESTYLIST. Plus you'll get free shipping in the U.S. And you guys, you will be stunned by the variety of plants, herbs, mushrooms, minerals, and even more that Andy packs into his products. Most of them could, in fact, and even should, be in your diet. But Alatura lets you bypass digestion and absorb them directly through your skin. It's pure genius. Again, visit alatura.com and use the code LIFESTYLIST for 20% off. I want to share something with you, though, and you know it could be any number of factors that have contributed to this. But when I arrived here yesterday, I was in a good mood, felt good, and whatnot, felt fairly alert, and whatever. I uh, had an interview with Mickey Willis here yesterday, and we had a good time. But I felt really loopy. I was having a hard time with word recall in moments. I would sort of lose my train of thought, or I'd be reaching and grasping for a word and I just couldn't find it. So I'd have to substitute it, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Just mild brain fog, perhaps, which I don't like that when I'm having a conversation with someone. I just really appreciate when I'm sharp and I can get a nice banter going and stay on track and all those things that I guess make you a good host. But anyway, I had a conversation with Kelly Brogan before ours and even during the course of our conversation I noticed that that is totally gone and I feel extremely clear and articulate and I'm having linguistic capacity that is as good as it ever gets for me in my own experience. And I thought, well, what did I do? I mean, I didn't eat anything different. I didn't take any magic supplements or anything like that. I'm just being the same me as always. Yet my experience of having a couple long form conversations today is like, wow, I'm super sharp and also very relaxed. You had a tune-up last night. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, well, what did I do differently? The only thing I did is had a session with you. I mean, it's the only input that might have had any sort of impact that I'm aware of. Do you find that 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 mental clarity is something that is a Mental clarity, emotional settling, focus, creativity. The more that people do the work, the more focused and clear they become. I certainly, that's been my experience. I, I mean, I used to be a mess. Even when I was doing this work part time, I was suffering from chronic mid-back pain, lousy digestion. I had seven planters warts on my left foot. I had a tendency towards yeast infections, brain fog. I'd get headaches. I'd get stomach aches. I mean, I, I was in fighting with my husband all the time. I was very deep in poverty consciousness. You know, I could put on a good front because I, I was compartmentalized. So I, I had this aspect of me that was very functional, that could be very attentive with my clients. And then all of my stuff kind of went away. Uh, But at the end of the day, even though I'd been studying self-help for so long and I'd been doing all the things, I mean, I can't tell you how many Nightingale Conant CD boxes I bought. And I tried so many things, but I was still in this kind of chronic low-level angst and and just feeling like I wasn't landing where I knew I, I could. And then when I started receiving tuning from my first students, right away, my planner's work started to disappear. Um, and wow. something, right? I mean, I didn't like, uh, and I've had clients report that too. And over the years of receiving tuning, I've healed everything. I mean, healed the poverty consciousness, become focused, written multiple books, grown an organization, 
can eat anything now. You know, I know you were telling me last night yeah. you can eat gluten like can, a mad woman. No problem. No problem. Like, I need to do some more biofield tuning. Yeah. <laughs> I love me some gluten, but <laughs> That's damn. Right. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Because my system has become more and more coherent and more and more regulated. And I'm able to stay in like that. What you said, I'm relaxed. I'm present. I'm aware. I don't have any ants in my pants. I don't have any pain. You know, just, I'm just able to be here and be clear and be calm. And I, I think that's what everybody wants. And that's really all we have at the end of the day is like, yeah. how are you showing up? And are you showing up in a way where you're comfortable in your own skin and you're clear and you're focused and you can do the tasks that need to be done? And, and can you experience joy? I think that that's, you know, the nature of our spirits is joyful. Like that is our light. Our light when it shines is joy. And unfortunately, so many people have so many dents and contractions and clouds and stuck energy that they can't get to that experience because there's just way too much noise in the signal. But when you settle down the noise in the signal and you amplify people's true tones, that's what comes out is brilliance and genius and greatness and gifts. I mean, everybody, but we've been so damaged by our culture and so infected with self-criticism and self-loathing and low self-worth, all kinds of stories that take away our confidence, our belief in ourselves, our comfort in our own skin. But everybody has it all inside of them. Yeah, It's just about getting, you know, people talk about raising their vibration. I don't subscribe to that because it's not really what happens. We get our vibration in tune. We get our vibration clear. Right? We raise our voltage. We, we strengthen our signal. We become more powerful. We become more resilient. Our consciousness expands in every direction. We expand out into our potential. It seems like becoming more enlightened or more joyous, more your true self is more of a process of subtraction than it is addition, right? That's, yeah. Like the work you're doing, you're, you're clearing distortions in one's field and you're not it's not additive, right? You're yeah. just removing this barrier to their full expression or their capacity for healing. And so what's left is just what was there underneath all of that garbage that we picked up in life. You know? Yeah, it's kind of like going into a messy room where there's just stuff all over the right. place and, and, and picking it up and putting it all in order and being like, wow, look at this lovely collection of beautiful things you have up there. And, and just you know, bringing order to what's there because most it's the, the beauty all the ingredients like you said it's already there and we're taking away the mess we're taking away the chaos we're taking away the dents the disorder the dysregulation but keeping we don't get rid of anything really at the end of the day you know some people are like oh i just want to get rid of that i'm like you can't get rid of anything really because because life indelibly impresses you i just had a tune-up recently from a, a wonderful new student and he got to age 25 and he was like, oh, I feel this weight in my heart. Well, that was when my mom died. And even though I've received so many tunings, there's still on a certain level we're indelibly impressed and a sensitive person is going to pick that up. Like here in your story is very sad. And so even though like when my, we first started tuning me there, I cried and I felt it and, and was in the process of healing it. Now all of that charge is gone, but the impression of that is still in my field and a sensitive person. It's not like it gets rid of it, right? But it discharges it. It smooths it over. It helps you to integrate it. It helps you to let go of whatever freeze you had in that trauma. That energy can be restored to you. 
So awesome. we're going to be who we're going to be, but we can be in much better order inside. Yeah, yeah. higher order, not new world order. No, <laughs> definitely not that. I want to let people know that they can find everything we're talking about, including links to all of your work at lukestory.com slash biofield. And we'll put that in the show description as well. Going back to this idea of being able to empirically show the measurement of this field. I think I was originally framing it in the aura photography example of something that you're looking at in a photograph or something. But going back to the idea of perhaps measuring it, I'm thinking about the HeartMath Institute, right? And I don't know what sort of technology they use, but I interviewed an incredible guy named Bruce Cryer, who was very involved with them as their CEO for a long time. And he was describing how at HeartMath, they've been able to scientifically determine that the radiance from your heart center is measurable at, I think it was 50 feet or something, right? And again, I don't know what they used to measure it, but I'm a real EMF fanatic. And so I have all kinds of EMF measuring devices, some of which measure a magnetic field, right? If you have a bad wiring in this wall, it'll make a crazy magnetic field coming off the wire. And even some magnetic field coming off, as you said, just a properly grounded and routed electric wire. Do you foresee anything coming about that would be kind of a human EMF meter or something that was that sensitive enough to pick up on what you're finding with the forks? Well, you know, there already is something. There's a device called a squid magnetometer, superconducting quantum blah, blah, blah device (laughs) that was developed, I think, in the 50s that was able to detect the magnetic field of the body from up to like 12 or 15 feet away. So the technology to like measure this emission has been around for a long time, but it was the detail of it that I, the patterns, right? Yeah. That I really want yeah. to see the patterns. I want to see the stories. I want to see the hot spots and the voids and the like. I really wanted to be able to see those the architecture things. of it. Yeah, yeah the architecture. Yeah, of yeah it. because otherwise, it's your the conversation's kind of over. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, there it is. It's a level fifty. And yeah. Then, well, okay, what next? Yeah, right? how is that useful, what right? What do we do with it? Yeah, yeah it's not really yeah. useful. So I'm sure at some point that the technology will be developed. I, like I said, I lost interest in it. And actually where my interest kind of started to go instead was actually into music. And how can I take everything that I've learned about, about sound, about intention, about healing, about the biofield, and translate that into music and impact 30 or 50,000 people in a stadium like that. That was where I was like, actually, there's only so many people that are going to avail themselves to tuning for healing. There's only so many people that care about devices that show the biofield, but everybody loves music. In fact, when you were talking about your musical selection, you might choose blues or you might choose jazz or right. Almost all of us do that. And we're all sound healers. We're all music therapists, sound therapists. Because we all know intrinsically the power of sound to move us, to shift our state. We all do it already. And so music, I think, is really the most powerful vehicle for this. And that's been my pursuit over the last few years. Cool. Is how can I take all of this and bring it to voice? Because the human voice is actually far more powerful than a tuning fork. And then into music and what happens if we have a whole band of people that are like super intentional and really working with these principles, like let's do mass healings. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, what's happening from your perspective based on what you've learned about the biofield, um, you know, shamanic drumming or a didgeridoo or crystal bowls or Tibetan bells or gongs, like something's happening. I mean, it's a thing now, right? Sound healing. You have sound healers that travel around with all these obscure instruments and people lay down and have beautiful experiences. Have you looked into kind of what's going on with the different instruments available and what they do, what their tones are and how they interface with your work specifically? Well, there's definitely a huge variety and I've certainly been exposed to quite a lot. One of the things I say is that we've all kind of seen the image of the Native American medicine man dancing, singing, drumming and rattling around someone who is sick. And that's really no different than me as a white girl coming through with a tuning fork. It is essentially shaking up the pattern that is there, the story that is held in the field and shaking it all up, going in there and interrupting it, resetting it, allowing a new pattern to set. I think the biggest thing that I treat in people and the thousands of people that I treat is the number one thing that I treat is what I call stuckness. That people get stuck. Just like I got stuck with my bulimia and this sort of pattern of behavior that you can't get out of. Your wiring just becomes such that the 95% of your subconscious, the wiring is a mess and everything's just flowing along. And even your conscious mind is like, no, we don't want to do that. But to try to rewire yourself from the inside is really hard. That's why anybody goes, gets help when anybody is because you're stuck, right? And so this is such a simple process of sorting out the wiring and resetting people back to neutral. And that is exactly what a shaman is doing with a drum or a rattle or any of these instruments is coming in and it's interrupting the pattern, interrupting the story, interrupting the vibrational arrangement that's going on and allowing it to reset into something more neutral. That's so cool. I, I never thought about it in that way. And it's quite common that my wife will come and rattle around me if I'm just getting squirrely. You know, if I'm struggling, she'll be like, come here. And she'll, you know, spray flower essences on me and bathe me with some different smoke and rattle a bit. And Yeah, you know, and that shifts I, your state, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels good. I, I never really thought about it much. It's like, well, I trust her. She knows what she's doing. It's her thing. You know, it's her gift. And uh, even, you know, she gave me this. When you get in your room, you know, you got to burn the thing and spray this and shake this. And you know, <laughs> I'm like, well, the room's fine. She goes, no, you got to cleanse the room when you get in there, you know. So I'm kind of slow to the party and learning about these things, but that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, I asked you this last night, so I already know the answer, but I, you know, many people listening like myself have probably had plant medicine or psychedelic experiences wherein sound was a huge part of that. I'm thinking of one practitioner, my friend Harry, uh, the first time I did a, a very intentional psilocybin journey and you know, I'm just totally out and uh, there's some music playing, but then at one point he starts playing his drum over my body, you know, like boom, boom. And it was powerful and beautiful. And when you were doing the forks, I thought, man, this would be really wild on medicine, you know, and you said, ah, no, it's not, it's not really my lane. Um, yeah. Do you know of anyone? I mean, are, yeah. so you make these tuning forks now and we'll talk about that. Are you aware of practitioners that have integrated your work into the depth of psychedelic work? Yeah, absolutely. I have a friend, Christoph Putzel. Uh, he was a war reporter and his father was a war reporter and his grandfather was a war reporter. So he's a very 
hard-boiled, just the facts, you know, just wants to cut to the quick and be real about things. And he started working with veterans and with psychedelics. And he, I don't know how he came across my work or how we met and became friends, but he went through my training. And that was back when I was teaching the certification course, which I don't anymore. But I remember Christoph having this revelation in class and he was like, this shit is real. I'm like, ah, yeah, Christoph, <laughs> it's real. Because <laughs> right? it can seem like it's not, you know, until you're really in it. And then well, you're like, a, it's very subtle. Yeah, too. it's subtle. It's not a gong in your ear or yeah. a big drum over your heart. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit diffuse, you know? Yeah. Subjectively, absolutely. at least. Yeah. And for him as a practitioner, and he's learning his first passes through the field and feeling what's going on and that information coming through. And so he has done quite a lot of work with veterans, people who've had a lot of trauma, where he has them on some kind of medicine. I'm not entirely sure what he uses, but he does the tuning forks with them. He does like three-hour sessions and has very profound outcomes. So he was the first one that I learned of that did it. And, and he's been doing it, I think, since maybe 2018. So he's been doing it for a while. But in the last few years, I had definitely have more practitioners who are working with people, whether they're doing mushrooms or what have you, that it can just be, makes, makes each aspect of it more profound, doing it yeah. together. Yeah, cool. ask you a question do you ever get sick to your stomach before a big presentation or get that gut instinct guiding you in the right direction that's because it's literally your gut not your brain that's responsible for your stress response not only that it's also the core of your overall health the problem is this 99.9 percent of probiotics on the market die in your stomach acid before they get to where they need to go and this is also true of the probiotics you'll find in the refrigerated section at the health food store. Personally, my go-to is Just Thrive spore-based probiotics because they're all natural and backed up by a grip of research. They've been shown to have a 1,000x better survival rate than yogurt and other leading probiotics, making them that much more effective. So Just Thrive is a game changer for dealing with the most common digestive issues like gas, bloating, indigestion, and more. Plus, when your gut's happy, it supports energy, improves sleep, and even promotes clear skin. So get your fingers typing over to justthrivehealth.com right now, and you can use the code LUKE to get 20% off a 90-day supply. That's like getting a month for free. And for next-level stress management, I like to pair their probiotic with Just Thrive's breakthrough new formula, Just Calm. Those two stacked are the ultimate stress-fighting duo. So get it on at justthrivehealth.com and use that code LUKE for 20% off. Last night I was asking you, uh, you gave me one of your forks to kind of work with while you went off and watched some music. And I asked you, you know, what note is this? I'm like, is this G sharp, E flat? You know? You're like, oh, I don't really work within that realm of tones and frequencies. And you mentioned the ones that you do. So maybe take us through the different iterations of the actual notes or tones or keys that you're working with and how that led into you feeling the need to develop your own tuning forks rather than just using whatever was out there. Yeah. 
So my first set of tuning forks was the C major scale. And it came with little instructions that you see in the root chakra, D in the sacral chakra, E in the solar plexus, so on, B up to, up to the crown. And so that's what I did. You know, I started off doing that uh, a number of years in, and maybe I'm not sure what year this was, maybe, I don't know, 2004, 2005, I started feeling like I needed a different set of forks. I was like, okay, I've been playing with these for eight, nine years. Like I'm ready for something different. And I went online and it was so different. So much changed. 1996, there was really no internet. I got a catalog, but you know, eight, nine years later, there's all these different sets of forks. There's websites. There's a lot more out there. And after seeing all the variety of what was available, I just kind of closed my computer. I'm like, I don't know what to get. So I just put it out to the universe. I said, okay, I feel like I need a set, but I need some guidance here. So I don't know what to get. So no joke, the next day, one of my girlfriends messaged me and she said, I just met a person who uses Solfeggio tuning forks. Have you ever heard of them? And I said, no, no, I never. That's the first time I've heard of that. Then another girlfriend, a couple of days later, said, I was just watching this video on YouTube about Solfeggio tuning forks. Have you ever heard of them? And I was like, yes, actually, <laughs> in the last few days. And then this is an absolutely true story. A few days later, I met another girlfriend for lunch. And we sit down and she pulls this bag, this book out of her bag and puts it on the table. And it's called The Healing Codes for the Biological Apocalypse by Leonard Horowitz. And she said, I was walking out this door at the door and this book practically jumped off the shelf at me. I think you're supposed to read it. And so I bring it home and I read it. And it is all about the solfeggio frequencies and how they were allegedly rediscovered through the Bible and just the whole story of how the solfeggio frequencies came to be. And the solfeggio frequencies are all based in the number three. If you add up the frequencies, they all reduce to a three, six, or nine. So there, it has this basis of three. And so I had three people in the span of three days <laughs> tell me about solfeggio tuning forks, which are based on the number three. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I get it. I need this solfeggio forks. So I ordered them and I started playing with those. And those frequencies are very clear. They're very bright. They're very uplifting. And in comparison, the C major scale started to sound sort of dull and muddy and dumb next to them. Like people would get relaxed using the C scale, but people felt bright and light and clear with the solfeggio forks. So uh, in time, I retired the C scale and just was working with the solfeggio. But then I wanted to start working with weighted forks on the body. And somebody had given me a C128, very common weighted fork that many people have. And it was okay, but I, I felt like I wanted some more. And that was when I started learning about the Schumann resonance. And so I ended up creating a pair of forks that are the Schumann resonance. So the Schumann resonance is around 7.83 hertz. You can't make a tuning fork in 7.83 hertz. It'd be like four feet long. So the lower the frequency, the longer the fork. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. And so the, about the lowest frequency fork you can get is around 25 or 26 hertz. 
and they're about this long. They're kind That's of. That's interesting because when you think about a bass guitar versus a six string guitar, the neck on a bass is much longer. Yeah. Especially an upright bass yeah. versus a violin. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Trippy. So the higher the frequency, like the very high frequency forks are very tiny. Like the four or 5,000 hertz forks are this big and you have to activate them like on a stone or a crystal. Uh-huh. So the higher, right? The, just the higher gets shorter and the lower gets longer. So I decided to play with the multiples of the Schumann resonance. And I got 7.83 times 7 and 7.83 times 8. And when you use them together, the differences between the two is 7.83. It's like 54.81 and 62.64. And when you hold those up to your ears, you get a binaural beat of 7.83 hertz, which is your brain in that sort of alpha theta cusp where you're quite quiet inside, where you're listening. That listening mindset, it creates that quiet mind. It regulates the whole system. It settles you down. Whether you're listening to them or whether you're using them together on the body, it kind of brings in that information of the background pulse in our electromagnetic atmosphere. It's always going on around 7.83 hertz, right? It fluctuates, but that's about where it is. And so interesting that that's where our brain waves are in a pretty healthy place, right? That's quiet inside, that's connected to the environment. What I discovered as I'm doing my research is that most of us were educated about solid, liquid, and gas as far as states of matter go. But what I discovered is that there were two more states of matter that were not taught about and that these are the illuminated, connective states of matter. And in our world of division, where we believe that we're separate, right, and everything is separate, they've left these connective states of matter out of our cosmological story. So a big part for me of understanding the body's electrical system, what was going on was discovering plasma, the fourth state of matter, which I didn't know existed. And then I discovered ether, that's our primary state of matter and how important an understanding that these exist in order to understand how and why biofield tuning works. It's a resonance in the ether that allows me to do a distance session. Whoa. Right? Cool. Yeah. And it's the fact that you have an electrical system, a plasma body that is that we're working. So, so the Schumann forks work with the electrical body, but then we also have this etheric geometric template that right, all of nature has a blueprint that is geometric, that is fundamental. And so I created a set of forks based in the Fibonacci sequence. The 11th and 12th position in the Fibonacci sequence are 89 hertz and 144 hertz. And if you divide 144 by 89, you get phi. You get the golden mean, the golden ratio, the way that life unfolds in this sort of beauty, proportion, harmony. And our whole bodies are designed, all of nature, really on this sort of phi proportion of the golden mean. So I created a set of those weighted forks to inform the body, to remind the body of its inherent geometrical order that underlies us. You're so cool. (laughs) So awesome. I find this to be just so fascinating. I'm thankful that we've had the opportunity to chat about this and share it with so many people. So I, I think I was kind of lucky to work with the OG personally. I guess you you don't really work with people one-on-one generally now? From- no, not so much. Uh, although Alec, Zach and I are starting a tradition of whenever he has to give a talk, I give him a tune-up right oh, cool. before. <laughs> cool, cool. So I, I definitely will work on friends. Uh, but no, I went from being a practitioner to being a teacher 
to then sort of growing an organization to support the dissemination of this information. Yeah. Sort of became a CEO, and that's really more what I do now. And so you've got what, like 3,000 trainees out in the world or something? probably got close to 3,000 students and practitioners out there. We have a lot of students at the moment. And we have a directory. Not all of our practitioners are on our directory, but everyone is trained to do the work at a distance. I have 11 teachers who teach the classes for us. And before COVID, it was all in person and COVID forced us to bring it online. And just like I didn't think it was possible to do distance sessions, I didn't think it was possible to teach this online either. But my teachers dove in and figured it out and practiced teaching their parents at first, you know, and over Zoom and kind of figured out that it could be done. And so now it's actually made it better because it's really accessible to people all over the world. And so we have online programs. We're starting in person again next year and different levels of training. But everybody learns how to do it at a distance. So yeah. yeah. Wow. So cool. I, I sometimes feel bad when um, I meet someone like you and we make a podcast and whatever their modality is, is not widely available or impossible to do remotely or exceedingly expensive and prohibitive to some people listening. I'm like, ah, oh, this thing's so cool. I feel bad for sharing it when people can't do it. But this sounds like something kind of anyone anywhere could do. I'm assuming a session probably isn't terribly expensive. It's like a massage. It's like going to get a massage. You know, you get a really good skilled massage therapist. It's going to be a little higher. You get somebody who's new to it. It's going to be a little bit lower, but it's definitely accessible. But one of the things that happened to me when my practice became so busy that I, I couldn't manage it anymore. When my first book came out, I already was very full and it just kind of took it over the limit. Uh, one of my friends suggested that I do group sessions and like remote group sessions. So I was like, group distant tuning fork healing? Like that, who the hell is going to do that? I'm like, I wouldn't do that. That just sounds ridiculous. But necessity being the mother of invention, I started off with these live broadcasts and people came. I did a whole bunch of free ones. I'm like, okay, let's see what happens if I tune a group. And I was really skeptical about it. But then I got all this feedback from people that they found it really helpful and useful. So I switched from doing one-on-one sessions to doing these group, you know, like weekly broadcast group tunings and recording them. And then I stopped doing them live and I just started recording them and putting out these recordings. Like just recently I recorded one on the neck and shoulders because for me, you know, I told you about growing up in an environment where I was continually under attack. I formed a very tight defensive posture. You know, I'd be curled up and I'd have multiple hands coming in and tickling me and poking at me. And so it created this very deep tension in my shoulders. And and I've been through all kinds of body work and trying to resolve it. And finally it dropped in. I'm like, Eileen, you just need to fix it yourself. And so I did a recording on relaxing the shoulders and it was so profound. I gave it out to a bunch of people and they're like, wow, that really worked. Like I'm my shoulders really feel Relax. So that's something that's like 30 bucks, it's a lot cheaper than going in and getting a massage. I mean, you can listen to it repeatedly. And it's just a recording of me working on a hologram. Basically, I'm like, okay, over an empty huh. table. I'm like, this is everyone who will ever listen to this recording. And it's like a personalized session, but it's a recording and it works. I have one, all kinds of ones that like release the psoas, centering and grounding. I have an adrenal rhythm reset series that people have found super helpful. So there's a whole library of recordings that are really affordable that people can access and try. Rad. We'll put those again, you guys, in the show notes at lukestray.com slash biofield. 
Uh, last question for you is this. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work that you'd like to share with us? Hmm. Okay. Well, I would say first, I already mentioned Tony Robbins. I know people have different opinions about him, but his work was very, very influential to me um, in, in just in what is possible. When I was 20, I went to his first nine-day mastery program that he ever did, and I did a 65-foot firewalk with him. And, you know, once you do something like that and you come out the other side and they're hosing the coals out from between your toes and you didn't get burnt, and you're like, wow, what else is possible? <laughs> totally. Right? They're really like blew yeah. wide open my realization, like how great our potential is as humans, how much we don't know about what we can do, right? I call myself a health and human potential researcher because that's after you get through all of the healing of trauma, then it really starts to become about accessing your potential and expanding more and growing more and healing your ancestral lineage and Right, like healing from trauma is absolutely possible. Like you can get to the place where that story is just done. It's just behind you. You don't care about it. You don't think about it anymore. You're not attached to your pain body story of suffering because you solved that problem. And now it's like, what else is possible? Right. And we all have so much to grow into here. So I would say Tony was one of them. Another one that comes to mind is Dr. Jerry Tennant. And he wrote a book called Healing is Voltage. And Jerry, one of the, my sort of light bulb moments with his work was he, com he points out that when we're talking about pH, pH in the body, that it's really voltage. And when we have low pH, that's a low voltage state. Basically, our battery is low. And people's batteries get low when they discharge more than they recharge when they give more than they receive, when they say yes, when they mean no, when they're martyring themselves and are taking care of everybody else and not taking care of themselves, when they're not meeting their own needs, uh, when they're inwardly divided. This is something that I really see as the epidemic is that people divide and conquer starts with us as individuals. And people have been split inside where they have this continual attack and defense going on. There's some kind of critic or judge. There's some kind of part that's being criticized and judged. There's the victim. There's the perpetrator. Right? All, all living inside of us. And that inner battle of inner duality and struggle and unkindness drops our voltage. In fact, just about everybody I've ever treated who has had an autoimmune disorder is viciously divided inside. And there's some part of them that's so incredibly unkind to another part, right? So, so that drops our voltage. And disease happens in a low pH state. Well, it happens when you don't have sufficient juice, electric juice in your battery isn't topped off. So it's, it's not about raising our vibration. It's really, we want to raise our voltage. We want to bring ourselves up to... Nine, you're operating at 90, 95, 100%, like staying topped off because that's where your potential is. You know, I always ask people at a talk, but I'll say, okay, give an inner battery meter and it's got a scale of one to 100, where 100 is you optimized and completely functional and one is just about dead. Like, where do you fall? And most people are falling around 60. 70%, some people less than that. So that's an indication. And like your voltage is low. It's like having a business, you have 100 employees and only 60 are showing up to work every day. Like what's <laughs> going on? You know, not what's supposed to be going on. But if you have sufficient electric charge across all your cell membranes, across 
all of your organs and systems and everything is fully charged, then then your body is fully operational. It's absolutely repairing itself. It's absolutely keeping itself in order. It's And you absolutely have the ability to show up and do all that you have to do and more, right? From a voltage perspective. So Jerry Tennant really, that really hit home to me. I'm like, this is sort of switching the language and the paradigm from chemical speak to electric speak and how looking at everything from an electrical perspective, I think is far more useful than looking at it as a chemical perspective. And who cares about dopamine or serotonin or anything like that? Like, what does any of that mean? It's just words for molecules, right? What's real is how we feel. And that is so emotional. That is so energetic. That is so electric. And and it is the vibrational patterns and rhythms and flows that are going on in our body that's giving rise to chemistry. So the currents, the patterns, the, the way that our minds work is so primary like, and generative of what's going on. So I think it's just a much more useful model. And Jerry Tennant is an absolute pioneer in this field, this emerging field of electric health. And then I would say another person who really influenced me was a fellow by the name of Wal Thornhill, who is one of the architects of the electric universe. And my discovering electric universe theory, which was a big part of what serendipitously sort of set me on this whole uh, understanding of the body's electrical system. When my son came to the dinner table one night and he said, did you know there's a fourth state of matter called plasma? And I was like, solid liquid gas. No, how did I miss an entire state of matter? And so that got me researching plasma and the discovery of how the light is hidden from us how the sun is a plasma, northern lights are a plasma, lightning is a plasma, our field is a bioplasma, our atmosphere is a bioplasma, it's charged. When we go to the ocean, that ionized air, we're breathing in the charge, right? It's the, the electrical aspect. We're taught about oxygen, but oxygen is a carrier of electric juice. And it's that electric juice that feeds our electrical system, that feeds our light. Same with fresh food, why we love farm-to-table food, because it's still got all that light that living light energy, and it hasn't dissipated yeah. yet, right? So while Thornhill really opened up my eyes to the electric environment, and so it was sort of a matter of putting together an understanding of the electric environment, the electric electricity in the body, and then Tony Robbins and what our potential is, our electric potentials. Those were all super useful practices of perspectives to synthesize. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. It all fits in your model beautifully. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your dedication and your work and your curiosity about the human experience and the nature of things. Uh, what you're doing is super cool. I'm so, so grateful to meet you and get to experience your work and now share it with tons of people. And I really encourage everyone listening to find a practitioner and check this out. Um, it's it's very interesting. It makes perfect sense to me. It's just one of those kind of, duh, of course this is the way it works, you know? Yeah. That's what people say when they read my book, especially yeah. my first book. They're like, oh, this all makes sense. Yeah. Right? And, and that was the criteria by which I put it all together. Like it had to make sense. But I think there's this sort of feeling of resonance in your body when you come across it. You're like, oh, I knew that. I didn't know that I knew that. But now that I've read it, like, yeah, that does make sense. Is there a, um, you know, like we had that block six feet out or whatever around birth last night and then worked through that after a few minutes. Does one have to kind of keep going back for refreshers or is once you clear the field, you're good to go and mm. then and then you just move into the optimization? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, protocol. It, it's really, everybody's different, right? And it depends on just how much trauma have you had? How much sustained trauma did you have? Did you grow up with alcoholic parents? Were you abused? You, you had 18 years of hell and misery every day. No, we're not going to sort you out in one session. You know, just like if you've been in a car accident, you're not going to go to a chiropractor once and then be good, right? So depending on how old people are, depending on what other types of work that they've done, I mean, honestly, I mean, I've had thousands of sessions and I will continue to have sessions because there is still so much to expand into. There's because I had ancestral trauma, because we we live in a culture that lies to us about everything. So we're all <laughs> so obscured from yeah. truth, from the truth about ourselves. There, there's just so many signal jammers that have been put into us. It's like, okay, you come to me because your knee hurts. I can sort that out. You know, we can probably get it to go away, maybe stay away. But if what you are really all about is fulfilling your destiny as a human on planet earth right now, cleaning up your karmic line. What There's like a, what I call the karmic cleanup crew, the people that are here to heal all the trauma that humanity has been through so that we can move forward in a more whole healed way. There's no end. Like, I don't think that, that I will ever stop getting benefit uh, from a tune-up and then any more than I'd stop getting benefit from a massage or a periodic chiropractic adjustment. Health has to be a lifestyle. And it it just depends on what you want and need. Like, what is your goal? My son is also a practitioner and he started treating this older guy, probably almost 80. And he's been coming to my son regularly. And he used to suffer really debilitating anxiety. And, you know, it's taken him a little while because he's 80, but he has himself on a maintenance schedule now and he comes for regular tunings and it's, you know, he comes with this beat up old white pickup truck, this guy from New Hampshire. Like you never think that he was going to drive to Vermont to get a tuning fork session to treat his anxiety. But it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to do a few and then I'm going to be good. That's like thinking your car is going to go to tune up and then it's going to get all this wear and tear and stress and pressure and and not need to be tuned up again. Right. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Cool. Well, I'm going to find a practitioner. I'm going to get on the train. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, like I said, just in one, there is a, a noticeable and positive change. So I'm really yeah. curious to see what would happen if I was able to uh, it's cumulative. keep going for a while. Yeah. It's absolutely cumulative. Like the one builds on the next one and the next one. And you just start feeling more regulated, more grounded, lighter, clearer. You sleep better. Your digestion improves. Like you start to grow into the best version of yourself. Let's say you're in a partnership. Could both partners become trained as practitioners and just treat each other? Yes. Or is there interference from that? It's definitely doable. I I found that with my family, with my husband, like I actually had my husband receive 10 sessions from another practitioner. I work on my family for first aid. Like if there's a, you know, somebody bang themselves up or they're sore or they have a stomach ache or a headache, I'll work on them for first aid. But when I tried to work on my kids, like I'm just too in the mix, right? To try to go into the timeline and the emotional stuff, it's just they're your family, the people close to you. I mean, everybody's different, and I don't want to say that you shouldn't. I mean, a new couple might do wonderful together, you know? But I find, because my husband and I have been together for a long time, and when I started really getting into this, that it was just 
better all around. That too. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, when you're really close with someone, especially if you're related by blood, there, there's probably an overlap of your field in, in some way yeah, you know, that, that might cause interference. It I mean, stops like, you from being fully objective. Yeah, like yeah. kinesiology, right? If you do like the David Hawkins style, not like testing for a vitamin or a food or something, but testing a non-local phenomenon, it often doesn't work with couples because they can't have the level of objectivity and non-attachment that's required for accuracy. Exactly. Right? So, that's exactly it yeah, right there. Yeah. But if it's a first aid situation, that's different. Sure. You, know? sure. you can. You can do that. Right on. Us. Yeah. Well, hot damn, we did it. Eileen, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, you bet, Luke. It's been fun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>